Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 92 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is Eric Lippert. Eric is a programmer who builds tools for other programmers. He's worked on Visual Basic, JavaScript, and C Sharp at Microsoft, designed code analyzers at Coverity, and is now working on a variety of programming language design problems at Facebook. So Eric, can I ask you to expand on that brief summary and tell us a little bit more about yourself? First of all, thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm super excited to be here. I was born at an early age in Canada, uh, where I grew up, went to school. I studied computer science and applied mathematics at the University of Waterloo. Waterloo has a uh, cooperative education program. So you go to school for four months, and then you go to work for four months, and then you go to school for four months, and so on. Uh, Right, yeah. You do that for several years. Uh, And what you end up doing is you end up getting a four-year degree in five years and two years of work experience out of it. Uh, and there's actually a, a funny story about that. I have uh, I have an intern in my work at Facebook now who's from Waterloo, uh, who's you know on one of his work terms, and they make us go through uh, through interview uh, and cooperative you know education student you know intern training when the interns come on board. And you know I am a you know an old, IT industry old timer, but a lot of the people <laughs> at Facebook are pretty fresh out of college themselves. And so something that, that we were cautioned about was if you have a Waterloo intern, they may have more work experience than you. So just, just be aware of that. <laughs> uh, now, of course, I, I have a keyboard on my desk that is older than my intern. So that, uh, that wasn't so much uh, an issue for me. But yeah, I was, uh, I was a, an intern at uh, Watcom which is now part of Sybase. And I was an intern at Microsoft. Then after graduating, I went to work full-time for Microsoft. I stayed in uh, developer tools my entire 16 years at Microsoft, worked on uh, Visual Basic, VBScript, JavaScript, Windows scripting, uh, tools for Office. And then I'm most known for my work on C Sharp and then left Microsoft in 2012, worked at uh, Coverity, which is now a part of Synopsys. They got purchased. And uh, Coverity makes static analysis tools that find sort of like critical defects in code, the kind of defects that you would want to delay a release in order to fix, that, that kind of thing. So it's very sort of high value defects. So I worked on their C-sharp analysis project. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I came to work on developer tools here at Facebook. And I've been having a great time doing that for a little while now. Great. Well, that's a great overview of what you've been up to. So <laughs> thank you for that. Eric, can you maybe share a unique career tip with the IT Career Energizer audience, one they may not know and should? Oh, well, yeah, I'm often asked for tips about you know for uh, new developers in particular and so you know let me tell you about some some really good advice i got when i was a young developer 
at Microsoft, uh, my manager told me, find a source of questions and learn how to answer them. It wasn't too hard back then, 20 years ago. Now, of course, it is extremely easy to find a source of questions, right? We have Stack Overflow and other, yeah. sort, uh, other sites like that that are producing a constant stream of thousands of questions a day. But I really took that advice to heart. I was working on the JavaScript engine at the time. And so I was already a member of Microsoft's internal questions about JavaScript group. And I just decided that I would read those questions every day. And if there was a question that was about my area of focus that I did not know the answer to, then I would find out the answer. And that if there was a question that I felt like, well, I know the answer, but I can't clearly and concisely explain it, then I probably don't know it well enough. That has really done me very well uh, over the uh, the last you know couple of decades that I've I've been answering people's questions on the internet. You really want to be able to have some concision in your answer and some accuracy, and you become known for that. You know, I I became known around Microsoft as the guy to go to when you have questions about JavaScript. Now that has its pros and cons. You know, there's a, a saying in the IT industry that you never want to be the guy who knows how to fix the printer because then every time somebody's printer is broken, they ask you how to fix the printer. Yes. Uh, so I did also have to learn how to push back on, on uh, questions and, and say, well, you know, you should do some research yourself or say, just because your program crashed and the script engine is on the stack doesn't mean that the script engine crashed your program, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, Great. Okay. Eric, can you maybe tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? Oh, there are so many to choose from. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while, but there's one that, that really stands out. And this was a long time ago. This was in the early days of uh, Internet Explorer, and uh, we had just been adding uh, ActiveX support to the, the browser. So for uh, those of your listeners who are you know, too young to remember, there's an extensibility model in Internet Explorer called ActiveX that allows you to run essentially arbitrary code in the browser, uh, code that's not written in JavaScript, but is written in some other you know, systems programming language like C++ or something like that. Uh, and we have a security model that I helped develop that intends to ensure that only safe code is run in the browser. And one day I woke up like any other normal day. And, but, you know, before I went into work, I just idly checked the, uh, you know, internet news sites and I saw on a, an IT news site the headline, worst security flaw ever found in Internet Explorer. <laughs> and so I clicked on it, and I realized it's like, oh, I wrote that code. <laughs> um, and so I went into work very rapidly this, that, that morning and, uh, and, and dug right into it. And like, there was some genuine panic on my part there. Like I thought like I was going to get into serious trouble for this or whatever. And so I, I dug into the logs and I discovered that somebody on the internet, so the scripting team and the Internet Explorer team were actually separate teams uh, at the time. And uh, somebody on the Internet Explorer team had checked out one of our controls, one of our ActiveX controls that was not safe. It was not marked as safe. 
he had marked it as safe and checked it back in without getting a code review. Right. To this day, I have no idea why. And the attack, the headline was completely overblown. It was not the worst security flaw that was ever found in Internet Explorer. There were far worse security yes. flaws that were run that were found in Internet Explorer. And there was never a working exploit that was crafted out of it. And the the exploit that they would have had to craft would have been pretty unlikely. Basically, it was an exploit where you could write some text to the user's disk. And then you would have to somehow convince them to point the browser at that text and execute that text. And then and then it could do bad things. Right. But yeah, so it was a very unlikely attack. But the the point was we did not have processes in place to prevent a bad actor from doing that. And I'm sure he wasn't malicious. I'm sure it was an accident, but it was never, it was never clearly explained to me. And the, the guy left Microsoft uh, of his own accord. He wasn't fired, but he left Microsoft shortly after that happened. Uh, and so I never did find out what went wrong there. But we installed a much stronger culture of code reviews after that moment. Great. Okay. Can you maybe take us to your career highlight or greatest success in contrast and tell us about that? The thing that I always want to do is I want to ship actual code that solves actual developers' problems because that's what I do. Like I build tools for other developers like me who want to use those tools to solve their customers' problems. So probably... The achievements that I'm most proud of uh, are my work on the the C sharp team, and and let me let me just highlight two. The first one was I joined the C sharp team just as C sharp three was going from internal prototypes to the code actually being written for real, uh, the the actual production code that we're going to, to ship to customers. And that was such an exciting time to be working on the C-Sharp team because we had all of these big ideas about query syntax and extension methods and lambdas and making the language more of a functional language uh, as well as still keeping it an object-oriented language. And it was really sort of like taking it to the next level. There wasn't a large-scale, widely used production language that had those features in it. And so we were going to be the first ones to do that. And I'm very, very proud of the, the work we did there. Uh, a story that I often tell about that time was, you know, people will sometimes ask me questions like, well, why don't you have extension properties because you have extension methods or you know, something like that? Like they'll say, well, why, why, why wasn't there this one extra feature that I want added to the C-Sharp 3 release? And I tell them, it's like, well, we go through these planning exercises where we try to figure out what the schedule is going to be. And you know, the argument at Microsoft at the time was always, is this going to be a quality-driven release or is this going to be a date-driven release? And the, the meaning of, of those terms was, are we going to decide that there's a particular date that we need to ship it on? And then we are going to ensure that we have the feature set that meets our quality bar by the time that date happens. Or are we going to say, no, no, we have a feature set that we want. And if it ends up taking us longer to get to the to that feature set, then we'll slip the date. Well, they decided that a particular that particular release of, of Visual Studio was going to be date-driven. 
So they go through this exercise where you imagine that the amount of work that you have on a schedule is, you know, is physically embodied in a pole, and the person who is holding the longest pole uh, is the person who is the most likely to slip the schedule. And so the, the C-sharp team was the long pole for that release, and the semantic analyzer was the long pole for the C-sharp team, and I worked on the semantic analyzer. So basically, every day that I screwed up and you know caused a bug that would waste that day was a day that Visual Studio was going to slip. And I'm very proud that we did not slip Visual Studio, and we did ship with all of the features that we wanted to ship. But that is the reason that I give to people why, you know, when they ask, well, why isn't my favorite feature in, you know, in C Sharp 3, you, you were doing so many other features, why didn't you do mine, is because I was the long pole. And every day that I spent trying to figure out a way to fit in another feature was a day that we added risk to the schedule. Indeed, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was one big career highlight. Also on the, the C Sharp team, we decided many, many years ago that we were going to rewrite the entire thing from scratch in C-sharp, and that furthermore, we were going to build a compiler that was not just a device that translated code from one language, C-sharp, into another language, you know, the Microsoft intermediate language, but rather we were going to design the compiler as a service, right? as a service where you could give it code and it would give you back an analysis of that code. Uh, and that furthermore, you could have a piece of code in memory and say, I am making the following edits to this piece of code, because that's what the editor does, uh, and that it would give you back a correct analysis within 30 milliseconds. And that was just an enormous amount of work to do. Huge engineering effort. I actually had dinner last night with uh, some of my former colleagues uh, from the, the C-sharp team. Uh, and they tell me that it is now over 5 million lines of code. <laughs> uh, so it's a huge project. I left Microsoft before it fully shipped, but I was very, very proud to have, have worked on that. It was, a, it was an enormous effort. And it was one of those enormous rewrite efforts that actually got done, that actually shipped to customers. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. You know, the history of Microsoft is, is littered with enormous rewrite projects that got canceled two years in. <laughs> there must be a great deal of um, satisfaction of being involved in projects like that. Uh, yes, yes. It's, it's immensely satisfying to build something really, really big that actually works. So, um, Eric, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT in particular? Well, we are just getting started one of my mentors when I was a, a young developer at Microsoft had his picture in some promotional materials that the Microsoft recruiters had. Uh, and uh, like, we're still giving him crap about this 20, 25 <laughs> years later. Uh, but it, it had, had his picture on it and it had the, the, the pull quote that said, have we invented all the cool language features? No, we've barely scratched the surface. And so, you know, I, whenever I run into them, I'm like, yeah, we're still scratching that surface, aren't we? Uh, and we are. Uh, there are so many features that we are still adding to programming languages that still have, uh, have yet to come, right? There are features that are in academic programming languages that we could add to production programming languages and really sort of raise the, the bar of uh, expressivity and of power of those languages. 
I uh, do some work at Facebook on probabilistic programming, which is uh, an area of uh, sort of active research, but there's not a lot of mainstream languages that incorporate probabilistic coroutines in them. So we're, we're looking into that. Uh, and that would enable us to write programs that more cleanly and accurately represent concepts that involve uh, you know probabilistic reasoning right so you know for example we we want to be able to to cleanly represent notions like what's the probability that this photo that you've posted online is a picture of a cat what's the probability that given these sensor readings which we know sometimes contain errors that the person whose phone were getting the sensor data from, what's the probability that they're moving versus the probability that they're standing still? And if they're moving, what's the probability that they're going to lunch? You know, that, that kind of thing. We want to be able to write programs that can reason naturally about, about these probabilistic ideas and existing tools don't get us all the way there. So that's, that's very, very exciting. Uh, and there's just a ton of stuff like that. We are just now beginning to apply the kinds of tools that we have for big data analysis to big code analysis. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. So there's plenty of um, opportunity for people coming into the industry or thinking about different direction within their careers. Yeah. There's just a, a ton of stuff to do in the, the programming languages and, and tools space. And the, the nice thing about working in tools is every time you build a tool, you magnify your impact across the entire industry. That's what's really attractive to me about it. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal rounds now. We're going to find out a little bit more about the way you think about IT. Mm -hmm. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Well, that, so that's a, an, an interesting question. I have always been attracted to computer programming. I started programming computers before I owned a computer. I would use the, the computer in my uh, elementary school library, uh, which was a Commodore PET. And I would actually work out programs on paper and then type them in after school and see if they worked. And my librarian, uh, who I'm still in, in touch with uh, many, many years later, you know, over 30 years later, a uh, very, very nice lady. She was very patient with me, you know, sitting there typing in programs yes. after hours. Uh, and I, I had... Um, I had other you know, teachers and, and mentors who really helped me out at an early age. Now, as for doing this as my career, my intention was originally to go into physics or mathematics. And when I got to school, I decided to do my degree in both applied mathematics and computer science. And I very quickly discovered that I was, though I enjoyed physics, I was not good at it. And uh, I enjoyed computer programming much, much more. And I was much, much better at it that made it very attractive to go into uh, that as a career. And like I said, I, I had uh, co-op work terms through Waterloo where I worked at, at Wacom. And I actually worked at Wacom when I was a, a teenager. They had a, a program for high school students as well. So I had I'd done a summer job there once. So yeah, I was always, always interested in a career in IT ever since I was pretty small. What is the best career advice you've ever received? Well, I already said uh, find a source of questions and uh, and answer them. Uh, so let me give you sort of the the follow up to that, which is learn how to write, learn how to write well, learn how to write 
concisely. And it's it's funny that I say learn how to write concisely because when I was at Microsoft, I was actually given a joke award, which was one of those singing fish, you know, that go on the wall that yeah. sing when you walk into the room. And it was uh, the the award was for uh, being the guy who wrote wrote the longest emails. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they those emails had a lot of information in them. They were they were pretty information dense. Uh, so yeah, learn learn how to learn how to write. Some advice that I was given uh, when I was a young programmer at Microsoft was there will come a time in your career and it will come sooner than you think when it stops being about writing correct code and it starts being about convincing people that you've written correct code. And that requires you to be able to to write convincingly. If you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do? That is very easy for me to answer. I would study statistics, or rather, I would pay attention in my statistics <laughs> class. I did, I did not pay very much attention in my statistics class when I was uh, when I was in college, and I really should have because I'm. It's really hurting me now. So much of machine learning and probabilistic programming is about understanding statistical concepts. the The linear algebra of it I have down, but it is surprising how much. Uh, statistics is now involved in mainstream computer programming. Uh, and as we're getting into some other kind of researchy ideas like differentiable programming that that feed into that, there's actually calculus involved in computer programming now, which I, I had, that, that just blows me away. I would never have expected that yeah. as, uh, uh, you know, as a young programmer. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? I am focusing on the same objectives that I have always had, uh, which is build cutting-edge tools that help real developers get real stuff done. We may have touched on the next one, but what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Like I said before, just under this broad umbrella of being able to communicate well, it sounds like a like a soft skill, and it, it kind of is, but it's really, really crucial. I can't really stress that enough. I, I read Stack Overflow every day, and something that I often note is there will be a question that the core of the question is there's a genuine confusion, and it illustrates an important point about languages or tools or computer science or something like that. But that the question is so inaptly expressed and so confusing that people don't realize that a question or more generally any document is a machine that is intended to create an effect in the world. Uh, and that, that you, can, you can optimize those machines. You can optimize those documents to be better machines, to be better at what they, uh, what they intend to do. So that's helped me immensely, is being able to, to ask and answer the right questions. Eric, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? Know your tools. Something that I have often seen in answering questions uh, on Stack Overflow and, and elsewhere is uh, I will get feature, I will get pitched features you know, for programming languages or for tools that already exist. And this is, uh, in some ways, it's kind of funny, uh, and it's uh, in some ways kind of gratifying to be like, well, we anticipated your need and we gave it to you. But it also illustrates that both that people sometimes don't know their tools very well, 
And also that the tools are not as discoverable as they could be. So there's there's two lessons there, right? One is is for people who are consuming tools, which is uh, really dig in and, and understand them. And there are you know there are lots of books available and and uh, you know, tutorials and online resources and Stack Overflow and all of that. But also there's a call to action for tool providers there as well, which is let's make tools that are more discoverable and that are not just endless streams of punctuation that look indistinguishable from you know modem line noise. And finally, Eric, what's the best way we can find out more about you and potentially connect with you? I ostensibly write a blog. I have not written in it in about a year uh, because I have been super, super busy with my work here at Facebook. And I, it just something had to give and, and that uh, that fell off the my available time. But I uh, I will probably pick it up again soon. A bunch of people have been asking me to, to start writing in my blog again. So I wrote a blog called Fabulous Adventures in Coding. It was on uh, MSDN for many years, and now it's on ericlifford.com. And it, it, Fabulous Adventures in Coding is just what it sounds like. I, I talk about programming language design, functional techniques for writing programs in an object-oriented style that are that also incorporate ideas from functional programs, virtual machines, gaming, all, all kinds of stuff. It's a, it's a pretty fun, wide-ranging blog. Great. Eric, thank you so much for being my guest on the IT Career Energizer podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's episode and to my guest career tips, advice, and experiences. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. And a quick reminder that the show has now three episodes every week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So make sure that you are subscribed to the show to get new episodes automatically downloaded. Also, don't forget to join the IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. You'll get to engage with other like-minded people, get to find out more about upcoming guests and other episodes, and can get involved in the future direction of the podcast. It really is a great pleasure to be able to talk to so many inspirational people from across the industry and to be able to share their stories and advice with you. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.